I can't believe you guys did that on the announcements. I did not know that was coming, uh, but I guess if you're a good rip, uh, lip reader, you got the name. Well, I'll, I'll still go through the, the message to bring us to the moment of the announcement, but... Oh, man. I got to get it together so I can actually preach here. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Well, 14 baptisms, weeping and joy and worship. Jesus is in the room. And we get a new name today. Oh, praise God. What, a, what an awesome, awesome time it is to be serving Jesus. And I'm so excited to be a part of this spiritual family. Let's pray. And uh, we'll get into the message. Lord, we love you so much. We love you so much, Jesus. Truly, there is nothing better than you. There is nothing better than you. So, Lord, even right now, bring this whole room under the anointing and the authority of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that as you're given us, you've given us a new name, that we're going to step into the identity that you've, you've spoken over us for years and years. So right now in this moment, would you bring us into unity? And Lord, I hold your hand today. And I ask you, let me speak as your oracle and release revelation on our hearts that we'd all find ourselves in the story. We'd find our stories as part of the story. We just give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Well, today's the big reveal. We're on part two of our message, Open the Gates. I've heard there's side bets. There's a, some sort of pool going on to figure out what the name of the church is. Well, you don't have to wait hardly anymore. It's going to be within the next hour. You'll know. I'm like, I'm like the, uh, you know, the TV show. They say, coming up, and then they tell you the big thing that's coming up, and then they wait to the very end. I'm that guy today. I can't stand that TV show when they do that to me. My wife and I will be sitting there like, oh, they sucked us in. Oh, we don't care about any of this. We just want to know the thing. Well, the thing is coming at the end of the service. But we have been in such an awesome time recently, awesome time over the last three years, combining the spiritual cultures from three different spiritual families. And here we are right now at a divine moment. And it's not just a divine moment for our spiritual family, it's a divine moment, I think, that God's working in so many parts of the body of Christ all over the nation. Um, I just came from a, a special gathering in Fredericksburg and so many leaders, and the Lord is moving in a dynamic way in this hour, and so it's just a special, special time in the kingdom. And so, you know, the, the name that God has given us it's not about the new thing that we're going to do. The name that God has given us is about who we have been and what he's already called us to be. And it just, it really just exhibits where we're going and who we are. And so I'm just, I'm super excited by how the Lord has led us today. You know, um, obviously 2020, everything shook. And at the same time with shaking, God was promising outpouring. And I believe those things are gonna continue to happen. We've said that so many times. And so here we are right now, 
and we feel like the Lord's given us a really unusual and unique expression of church. And I just want you to zoom out for a minute because so often when you look at something so close up, you, you can kind of miss the, the, the wonder of the thing. But do you know, I mean, we have a live 24-7 worship and prayer meeting that's been taking place for 15 years nonstop. That's who we are, a people that loves the presence of Jesus. And, and it's not just staff that, that make that prayer and worship reality you know, happen. It's so many in our broader spiritual family, so many of our members, so many of people that visit. In fact, it's, it's people from the entire region. We have people from other churches that come and so into that offering to the Lord. And that's the way I think of it. It's just a, this, this central place of offering where we're giving him our hearts and we're ministering to him as the first and the main thing we do. Well, from there, everything else springs, all the different ministries, the children's, the, the teens, the students, the young adults, everything we have in house churches, men's and women's, and all the different facets of church, outreach, mission to the nations, all of it flows out of that place of perpetual encounter. And I just, I just want you to think about the wonder of what that means, that we're part of a a spiritual family that's 24 seven, we're 24 seven church. We're 24 seven lovers of Jesus. We're 24 seven family. We're, we're a 24 seven group of weirdos that have put Jesus at the center of everything we do. And what, what a wonder that God has brought us to this place for this time. And so we have this, story brand that kind of explains who we are. I just want to read the words. I put them in the notes today, but God has called us to be a unique expression of church. We're a spiritual family of all cultures and generations centered around Jesus' presence, praying night and day, and we're believing for dramatic breakthrough, and we're proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom from our neighborhoods to the nations. When you boil us down, this is who we are. And really, we're a people that just says, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more than what we've experienced, more than what we've seen, and we wanna go after that together. We wanna go after that as a family. I was meditating this week about, in the scripture, how many times God changed someone's name. And when you study that, you find it's like dozens of times that there's names changes that happen in the Bible. And, and each one of them is profound. Now, some of them, it's the person actually was known by one name in Hebrew and another name in Greek, and, and they have two different names that they go by. But many times, there's this moment of encounter where the Lord, he stops everything and he says, I am changing your name. Because I'm speaking identity over you in a way you haven't understood before. And beloved, we are in that moment right now. God has stopped us, he's knit us, and he's stopped us and he's saying, I'm changing your name. And so today, 
for me, I don't believe it's just a formality. I believe we are stepping into the spiritual identity that God has been speaking over us really for the last 15 to 20 years. I've told this story before, but probably about six months ago, Dustin, he dusted off this kind of original vision statement from Cornerstone uh, Church, Cornerstone Assemblies, and he, and he does something, he brings it in, and as I'm reading through his vision statement, it's like, it's, it's like the exact vision statement of who we are right now. It's just shocking. And, and, and I remember hearing this story that before we ever merged Newbridge and, and IHOP, that, that Chad Norris, he's a prophetic minister from South Carolina, he was here ministering. And he said this phrase. He said, God is calling you He's calling you, Newbridge Church, to be a beachhead for revival centered in continual prayer. Now, that is stunning because we hadn't even talked about merging at that point. But what's actually so important to me was that phrase, a beachhead for revival. That's a concentration of force. It's a military term. It's where you pour in all the big guns all in one area until you get a breakthrough. And once you get the breakthrough, there's a proliferation of, of ground that's taken. Well, get this. The very first conversation I ever had when I was a youth pastor and I was sharing with my pastors at that time that I felt like God was calling me to, to start a house of prayer they were looking at me like, you just want to pray all the time. I go, I know it sounds crazy, but yes. And, and they said, well, what do you think this is that you're trying to, to birth? And I said, I think God is calling me to birth a beachhead for revival. I said that phrase to them in 2003, when they told me that, when Jeff and Dustin told me that, that that's what they were saying yes to, to be a beachhead for revival, I was shocked. And I just love how the Lord weaves together all the stories. And that's who he's called us to be, a beachhead for revival that doesn't just affect Gwinnett County or Lawrenceville, but that affects the entire city of Atlanta. And so I was thinking about how these name changes worked in the scripture. I was thinking about Abram to Abraham. He needed to see that he was the father of many nations. And I was thinking about Jacob to Israel. He, he needed to go from being this deceiver to this prince with God. He needed to see the identity that God was speaking over him. And, and, and Simon to Cephas or, or Peter, he needed to go from seeing that he was this small pebble to this rock of a leader that God was establishing in the first church. Well, today we're going into that identity that that God set up for us. And so to get us there, I want to share a little bit about the history of Atlanta, and I want to share a few prophetic stories, okay? So Atlanta, some of you know this, it was originally named Terminus. Terminus, 1836. It was called Terminus because it was the end of the Western Rail Line. And so there were multiple railways that all... They, they planned them all to come together and intersect right there in what is Little Five Points in downtown Atlanta. And so the original 
settlement that, that grew out of that, about 30 buildings, uh, they, it was known as Terminus. And um, within just a few years, Governor Lumpkin, who was kind of over the, the, the state at that time, they, the, the people wanted to name Terminus after him. And, and he said, no, don't name it after me. Name it after my daughter. And her name was Martha. And so somebody voted, and they all said yes, and they named it Marthasville. Well, those two names are interesting to me because terminus literally means the end of the line. It's a way that we describe death. And uh, I know none of you watch this show, but there's a zombie show. called The Walking Dead, and it's, don't get too excited now, it's filmed in Atlanta, and the city with The Walking Dead is Terminus. It's a play on what that word means. In fact, I think it actually, you know, I think things like that have significance. I think it speaks of the spirit of death that's that's kind of governed this area and governed our city. What's interesting that that would be the first name and then the second name, Marthasville. Well, we, we know who Martha was in the, in the scripture. She, she had that, that bad conversation with Jesus. <laughs> You're worried and bothered about so many things, but one thing is needed. And, uh, you know, I, when I think about Atlanta, you know, it's interesting because the Southeast and people from around the nation, they, they kind of recognize this. They kind of come to the Southeast, and it's kind of slow. It's kind of nice. But something happens right when you come into Atlanta. It speeds up. It gets hectic. And I think about that Marthasville. It's almost like the, the hangover of that, that Martha mentality, that Martha spirit. In fact, it was 2019. The Lord spoke to me. He corrected me. And he said, you've built a merry ministry with a Martha mentality. He says, one thing is needed. Learn to live and lead from my feet. And so we're in a city that's been known as Terminus, Marthasville. Well, 1845, two years later, it was named Atlanta. And uh, that was Martha's middle name. <laughs> They just shifted it over. But it, Atlanta, it, it means immovable. Some translation, uh, some definitions of it say new beginnings, a new start, or an immovable foundation. Because you'll remember that it was in 1864 that in the Civil War, Sherman led the, the Union troops on a march to the sea, and he came right through Atlanta. And part of the, the plan to, to win the war was to disable the, the rail lines that all converged in Atlanta. And so he literally burned everything to the ground. He burned industry. He burned the rail stations. He burned all the supply depots. He even burned some of the residents of, of the homes. He just burned everything to the ground. Well, it was the final blow that decided, really decided the, the Civil War. And uh, 
1868, as Reconstruction began to kick up, Atlanta became the capital of of Georgia, and it began to thrive, and and that, that name, that this foundation that was sure, it started to emerge, and Atlanta, Atlanta began to sort of rise from the ashes. And um, in the 1870s, it was beginning to be called the New York of the South. And that, that went on for maybe a decade or so, and then in the 1880s, they started calling Atlanta the Chicago of the South because these, these northern cities with lots of commerce and business, they were exploding, and really Atlanta was the only place like that in the Southeast. And then it was in the early 1900s that Atlanta became known as the Gate City of the South. And the idea was that if, if anything was going to happen in the Southeast, it had to come through Atlanta. If any ground was going to be taken for, for business, for, for econ- economics, for culture, it had to come through Atlanta first. Atlanta was the southern gate of the United States, the gate city of the South as the industrial and cultural center. And I remember the first time I met Mike Bickle, I, I, I told him this, and, and I was a a youth pastor and a, and a bit in awe as I'm talking to Mike, who's got this international ministry. And, and he says, so, and I had this vision for night and day prayer. And he says, so why do you want to do that? And, you know, in moments like that, you, you, you have these things that happen where things will come out of your mouth and you're sort of listening to what you're saying. And I was in that mode and I'm like, oh, oh, don't say that. And it's coming out. I'm going, stop, man, don't say that. And here it comes. And I said to him, well, here's what I believe. I said, I believe Atlanta is the gate city of the South. And I believe that God has marked Atlanta for revival. And just like Sherman burned Atlanta to the ground, Jesus wants to release the fire of the Holy Spirit on Atlanta. And he wants to see Atlanta fall to the kingdom of God. And and I'm I'm listening to myself. I'm going, stop, stop, humble yourself, shut up. And then I say this, and I say, and if Atlanta falls to the kingdom of God, the entire state of Georgia will fall. And if Atlanta falls, the entire southeast will fall. And if the southeast falls to the kingdom of God, the nation will fall to the kingdom of God, and the nations of the earth will feel the ripple effects. I say all that to him, and I'm like, whoa. He goes, I believe that. I go, praise God. My mouth has gotten me in trouble many times. Sometimes it's prophetic, sometimes it's pathetic. It just is what it is. (laughs) But I remember feeling like that was a prophetic moment. Well, in the 60s, of course, Atlanta, it became a hub for the civil rights movement. And Atlanta became known as the city too busy to hate. Well, there it was, Martha showing up as an answer to the hatred of racism. You know, that's kind of what the flesh does, isn't it? It comes up with maybe the right solution with the wrong method, and it ends up actually flesh always births death. But could it be that God actually wants to release 
in Atlanta a people that aren't operating in the spirit of Martha, but a people who are operating in the spirit of Mary, who are too filled with love to hate, that would see the back of racism broken because we're invoking the power of the kingdom of God in this place. And so what I think this redemptive calling on Atlanta to be this, this hub for the civil rights, to be this place, this gate city of the South, I think we see it manifest in so many different ways. I mean, our airport is known as the busiest airport in the world, and Delta, whose hub is in Atlanta, it's the largest airline in the world. There's more comings and goings from Atlanta than any other place in the world. So if God was going to hit a place with revival, if he was going to start a fire that he wanted to spread everywhere, this is the prime place. And so I've had this conversation with so many people. They go, yeah, I was just going through life, doing what I do. And the Lord spoke to me, move to Atlanta. Some of you are like that. You are just doing life. You were living, being happy, you know, minding your own business. And the Lord said, move to Atlanta. And you said, Atlanta? Can anything good come out of Atlanta? <laughs> and you found yourself here for such a time as this. And so I believe that we are stepping into a moment where God's going to use the influence of Atlanta for the glory of his kingdom. See, right now, Atlanta is home to 1,000 international businesses. We're home to 50 international consulates. I mentioned the airport and the airlines. Uh, Atlanta, many people don't realize, is the leading city in the movie industry. More movies are made in Atlanta than anywhere else, including Hollywood. We don't have very good sports teams yet. But Atlanta United, come on, come on, soccer people. Praise God. We're going to fly United. We're going to win. That's, that, that's the prophetic word on that one. But it's for such a time as this. Well, let me get into story mode. So I'm, gonna, I'm giving my narrative thread, as we talked about the last few weeks, and, 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 and so much of the story, I, I, I don't really know what to make of it. And last week, if you weren't here, I, I would just encourage you to watch the, watch the YouTube. And um, it, it, I shared one of the most powerful prophetic stories of my entire life last week. And, and so today, I want to share four other quick stories, and then we're going to have a video and the great reveal. But, uh, you know, most people know I was a youth pastor um, at an awesome church, Victory Church. Um, I was there. I was one of the original um, members. We had six, six people that started that church. And my mom is here somewhere. We started my mother's daycare center. There's my mom. She hates when I call her out. We started that church in my mother's daycare center. It was Dennis and Colleen Rouse. It was my brother and Leanne. And then it was myself and my college roommate. And we started in that daycare center. And that's where Victory Church started. And I was there for 13 years. I was the original youth pastor. And um, I remember we were in this moment of rebranding in the church. And, and we were trying to come up with a cool name for my youth ministry. And uh, we were, I don't know, 1996 or seven. And I remember one of our, my leaders, they said, hey, uh, what's the boiling point of water? And, uh, and somebody said, 
we were all in a group, and, and one, of the, one of the other leaders, they said, 212. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, write that down. That's a good name. It was that spiritual. Like, it was <laughs> nothing impressive. But one of the main passages that we've been carrying was Isaiah 64, 1 and 2. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known. And there it was, the boiling point of water. And we thought, oh, 212, that's a cool thing. So we branded everything in the youth ministry 212. So I, I was the youth pastor of a, a ministry called 212. And we had, we had high school and uh, uh, you know, groups and all sorts of outreaches, and everything was branded 212. And then I remember it was about a year later, one of my friends, one of the other leaders in the church came to me. He says, hey, check out this passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 9. And, 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 I, and I flip over in, in my Bible, and the pages were still stuck together. I had to kind of unrustle them. <laughs> 1 Chronicles 9, because that's a part of the scripture that a lot of people don't spend a lot of time in, Chronicles. It's like Jabez begot Mahalia, begot whoever, whoever. You know what I mean? It's that kind of uh, passages. And I looked at this verse in verse 22. He said, I feel like this is a word from the Lord for you. All those chosen as gatekeepers were 212. There was the number. And it wasn't just the boiling point of water. It was the actual number. And I went, wow, that's awesome. 212, it's in the Bible. We got a Bible verse. <laughs> and and uh, that's so cool. Awesome. What's a gatekeeper? <laughs> Who cares? It's cool. Make some T-shirts. And that's literally what we did. <laughs> the prerequisite of being a youth pastor is you got to be able to say Jesus and be excited. I think that's... I, I checked both boxes at that point. Not a lot of depth going on. Anyway, we took this identity of being gatekeepers in that youth group, and, and I ended up reading about it and finding out that it was, you know, there was a teaching out that gatekeepers were prophetic intercessors, and they opened the gates over a city to see the glory of God come in. I thought, oh, that's a cool thing. Yeah, let's just run with that. And, and we did. And, and the Lord, you know, he, sometimes he'll just meet you at the least common denominator, if you give him a little bit of a crack, he'll be like, I'm in there. And he'll just meet you in those places. And he met us. He met us with this vision that if we just cried out to God in intercession, he would open the heavens. And as fire burns brushwood and fire causes water to boil, he would make his name known. And we, we just lived in that. And we had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my youth ministry. It was significant. We had hundreds of young people get touched. And in fact, we've got people in our church today that got really touched in that season of, of visitation. And, um, and I remember I was in this season of transition out of being a youth pastor into planting the house of prayer. And I thought, what is this gatekeepers thing? Let me study this. And I started studying First Chronicles and I started studying that it was David and Samuel who appointed the gatekeepers. And then I started realizing, oh, wait a second. Those 212 gatekeepers they were gatekeepers in the tabernacle of David. And the tabernacle of David was 24-7 worship and prayer before the Ark of the Covenant. And that what I was getting ready to plant with the house of prayer was something that was modeled after 
the tabernacle of David. I'd been running around calling myself a gatekeeper and using this number 212, and I had no idea that the whole thing was about 24-7 worship and prayer. And I remember that thing hitting me so hard going, oh my gosh, you've been calling my name even before I knew what you were saying. You know, God, he, he puts things in your heart. You don't even know what it really means sometimes. And you just know that they're little gems, they're little tokens, things that he invites, he's inviting you to. And you don't even know how to put it together sometimes, but it's him and he's sort of just drawing you along. And, and as the narrative unfolds, you go, oh my goodness, this is what you were saying all along. I feel like that's where we are right now. Well, I wanna tell you about something that happened to me uh, in 2005, uh, September 26, 2005, I had a dynamic encounter in a place called Herrenhut, Germany. How many know what Herrenhut, Germany represents? So Herrenhut, Germany is a historic place known for a 120-year ceaseless prayer meeting that gave birth to the modern evangelical missions movement. The Moravians, under a man named uh, Ludwig von Zinzendorf, had a 120-year ceaseless prayer meeting that literally birthed the missions movement in the evangelical church. And then ultimately, it was just seven years uh, after that prayer meeting began that the, the Second Great Awakening exploded. And so that prayer meeting is a historic, important prayer meeting. And so a lot of you know, seekers will find themselves visiting Heronhood. It's kind of like one of those places you go when you're out finding spiritual places that are cool. Like we went to, um, in that trip, we ended up going to the Wittenberg door where, uh, where Luther had pinned the 95 theses and started the Reformation. And we also went to Heronhood. Well, I'll tell you the quick version of the story. I remember, I've had this happen to me one time in my entire life. Uh, I remember I woke up, and as soon as I woke up, the Lord spoke to me. He said, your friend Nathan, Nathan Camp is sitting right over here. He's one of our board members. He can verify everything I'm about to say, so help me God. But I woke up, and the Lord speaks to my heart, and he says, your friend Nathan is going to call you today and invite you on a trip. Tell him yes. That's the first thing on my mind. I went, Okay, well, I'll know for sure if this is the Lord or not. You know, one day, if it doesn't happen, then I ate too much pizza yesterday. And it's about mid-morning, my phone rings, and it's Nathan. I go, oh, my goodness. So, you know, you get about one chance to do this thing, right? So I answer the phone. I go, hey, bud. He goes, hey. I go, what's going on? No, no, I I didn't do that. I said, hey, buddy. He goes, hey. I go, you're calling me because you're inviting me on a trip, and the answer is yes. You get one chance. And he's good friends, so I could be as weird as I wanted to be, right? I go, you're calling me to invite me on a trip, and the answer is yes. He goes, no, I'm not. I go, oh, okay. Well, why are you calling? He goes, okay, I'm inviting you on a trip. I go, where are we going? He goes, Dresden, Germany. I go, Germany? Oh, what did I just say yes to? He goes, there's a conference 24-7. Pete Gregg, they're putting on a conference. Let's go. I said, okay, I'm in. So we go. 
we go to the conference, it's a great conference. Uh, it wasn't particularly shockingly impactful. So I'm going, Lord, you went out of your way to tell me to go to Germany, why am I here? So Nathan and I decide we're gonna go tour, we're gonna go to Herrenhut, we're gonna go to the Wittenberg door. And, and we, we go to Herrenhut, we take no particular route, we get lost in Germany, we're walking up to Germans who speak no English, Speak English? I mean, we're just trying to find our way to Hernhut. We, we're completely goofy. We found McDonald's. We ate that. <clears throat> we finally get there, and we literally do the deal where we knock on a door. We literally did this. I can't believe we did this. We knock on a door, and we go, Hernhut, Zinzendorf, Moravians? <laughs> like, just the first door, and the person goes, right there. And we're at the, we're at the Moravian church. Founded by Zinzendorf. We're like, sweet. <laughs> we walk around the front, and I remember I'm walking up, and there's this gentleman walking up at, at the exact same moment, and we kind of walk up. He comes from this side, I walk from this side, and here's this bust of Zinzendorf, who's the leader of that 120 prayer meeting, 120 year prayer meeting. He walks up, and I walk up, and I look at him, and I recognize this is a guy from the conference that we were just at. His name is Gary Schmitz, and he spoke at the conference. And um, I'm like, hey, you're at the conference. Da -da -da. We connect. His wife is with him. And it's just fun because there's some other Americans there. And so we just, we start hanging out and we, we go to the museum that commemorates everything. And then they have this um, amazing cemetery with all these headstones of missionaries that got sent out from Herrenhut. And in fact, if you know uh, John Wesley's story, he talks about how he got saved on a ship that was being tossed in the sea because the Moravians were completely at peace and he was troubled about his potential death. And so we're in this amazing cemetery and they've got this watchtower and it's just, it feels like this holy place. And so we go up the top of this watchtower and uh, there's Gary and his wife, Barb, and, and, and Nathan and I. <laughs> you okay? Okay. <laughs> um, and the Lord, he falls on us. The presence of God comes on us in a dynamic way and we begin to cry out and pray, and we're praying for the joining of the house of prayer movement with the local church. We're praying, I mean, I've never, I hadn't thought of it one second before this moment, and we go into a three-hour encounter with the Lord on the top of Heronhut prayer tower, crying out for God to bring amending between the house of prayer and the local church. And Gary, he was a, this prayer leader who had just put together 24-7 in the local churches all over Kansas City, not connected to the house of prayer. Each church had just taken a week at a time of 24-7 nonstop prayer, and that day was the one-year anniversary and so there we are, and we are crying and, and calling out to God to unite the house of prayer and the local church to bring amending. It was stunning. And, and, and so here I am, and I'm looking at, at Gary, and, I look, and I'm just, I can't get my eyes off his shoes. I, I, didn't, I wasn't coveting. I just, I saw them, and I thought, I, I, I was just a weird impulse. I was like, I need to wear his shoes. <laughs> and I just kept, I couldn't, 
get my mind off of this guy's shoes. They were a brand new pair of New Balance, glory to God. But it had the NB on the side. Of course, later it would be New Bridge. So I'm staring at this man's shoes. <laughs> my shoes were Payless, $8.95, glory to God. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Thank you. And, uh, and I'm thinking, I, I can't ask this guy for his shoes. Like, I, I'm just, I'm weird, but I'm not that weird. And, uh, and then his wife, Barb, speaks up, and she goes, you know, my grandfather just passed, and we went into his closet, and we tried on all his clothes. And I went, oh, my gosh. She goes, but we didn't know what it was really like to, to walk in his life until we slid our feet in his shoes. She said that to me. I go, Gary and I are supposed to change shoes, aren't we? She goes, yep. I go, pay less, brother. And he gives me his, and he says, new balance. And the, the, the word comes out, God's giving you a new balance between house of prayer and local church. Because if I'm honest, when I transitioned out of being the youth pastor of the mega church, I was so burning with a desire for revival, I just thought I would do missions-based kind of ministry forever, parachurch something. I didn't ever see myself in local church ever again. I, I just thought, we're just gonna pray and believe God for breakthrough and and, and we're, yes, we're a part of the church, but I just wasn't thinking of it that way. Well, he gives me, he puts his shoes out and he says, it's new balance between the house of prayer and the local church for you. And then the word I gave him, I said, you've paid a lot to get to where you are. God's saying you're gonna pay less. And so we spent the day walking around in each other's shoes and it was, it was profound. This is 2005. I come back from that trip. I remember telling our whole staff, staff in the house of prayer, there's a new balance between the house of prayer and the local church and God's gonna knit it together and yeah. And everybody goes, how is that gonna happen? I go, I have no idea. No idea. But I just carried that one. Like, oh man, this thing's gonna happen. I don't know how but it's gonna happen. Beloved, we are standing in a fulfillment that's been in the heart of God for eons. My house should be called a house of prayer. That was a word to the church. And here we are, a spiritual family, housing a 24-7 house of prayer, and it's one reality. And that word I got in Hernhut, Germany, I believe we're now, I am now, just now, stepping into the fulfillment of it. Tell you another story. It's 2009. I gotta speed these up a little bit because I wouldn't want you to have to be dismissed to get your kids when we give the name reveal. 2009, Lou Engel, our dear friend, he's a spiritual father to me, and he's in town. He's preaching at a conference, and he he. I remember he got he he got up this one morning and he's going to preach that morning and he said, "Hey, I heard you're leaving Atlanta. You're moving." I go, oh, "I'm not moving. That's a lie. That's a rumor." And he goes, "Okay, good, because I couldn't preach what I'm going to preach today if you if you were leaving Atlanta." And he got up and he preached this whole message on Naboth's vineyard. And those some of you will remember that story that 
Naboth had a family inheritance, this beautiful vineyard that was right next to Ahab and Jezebel's palace. And Ahab wanted that vineyard for himself. And he was upset. And Jezebel came in and said, why are you upset, husband? And he said, I want this vineyard and this man won't sell it to me. And Jezebel said, don't worry, I'll get it for you. And she contrived this entire lie about Naboth and they had him stoned under religious pretenses. And, and, and he ended up losing his life because he wouldn't give his father's inheritance to Jezebel. And Lou preaches this whole message and he says, I wanna call everyone in the conference to make a covenant with the land here in Atlanta that you wouldn't give your father's inheritance in the city of Atlanta to Jezebel. And I was like, that's me, I know that's me. And I answered and a couple hundred people came down. And, but I thought, you know, I won't leave here over my dead body until we get a breakthrough. And the spirit of Jezebel is dethroned over this city. Because by that point, I'd come to realize that that terminus word, that spirit of death in Jezebel, that was all one thing. Because it was 2007 that one of the major news media sources in Atlanta, they came out with one of their main Atlanta magazines and they called it Jezebel. And it was all over all the billboards in the city. You're driving around the city and it's Jezebel, 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 Jezebel. And I'm going, what the heck is happening? We're getting infiltrated. See, what happens is that in the spirit, the demonic, they like to manifest in the natural what they've already owned in the spiritual. I'll tell you a little story about our city. One of the city fathers that planted one of the main churches just inside the perimeter, the church grew dramatically. He was defrocked from his denomination because he had had an illicit affair. Well, he went right from that place of being removed from that pastorate, and that church was blessed and grew, and he planted another church out in the Covington and Conyers area, and that church exploded. But he never repented of the adultery. Well, here's what happens. Around about 2004, it starts getting all over the Atlanta newspapers. This isn't something that's just I'm privy to because it's private. It's all over the Atlanta newspapers that there are affidavits this high of women that said this pastor has had illicit relationships and manipulated them into an adulterous affair with him. Hundreds of women. And what you end up finding out about our city is that this pastor, his influence, it touched so many leaders in the city. And so when Lou comes with this word, do not give your father's inheritance, the land inheritance. Don't give it to Jezebel. I know it's a word for us. I know it's a word for our city because here's what happens. Nothing can happen in a city unless the church opens the gates to it. If you open the gate to perversion, guess what infiltrates your city? Perversion. But if you open the gates to the king of glory, guess what possesses your city? The king of glory. And so the church is the chief governing authority in any region. And so Lou, after that message, I remember I made that covenant with the land, and I don't take covenant lightly. I made it with the land, and I said, I will not give my father's inheritance to Jezebel over my dead body if it needs to be. And Lou came to me after that, and he says, the Lord tells me to tell you he's going to give you a strategy to fill the leadership vacuum in this city He's gonna transition the leadership of the city. He's gonna give you a strategy to fill the leadership vacuum. And I didn't know what that meant. 
What was a year later, and another prominent minister that had been connected to that original minister, he came out of the closet publicly in front of his church and said, he said, I was a he goes, I'm a homosexual. And the church stood and gave him a standing ovation in our city. And I remember saying, this is Jezebel. And when I watched the video that I was so grieved, so gripped, and the Lord showed me a map of the city and all these dots all over the city. And I saw like little fires everywhere. And I knew that they represented churches all over the city with leaders that were free from compromise and free from the spirit of Jezebel that were giving themselves to, to night and day worship and prayer and intimacy with Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, believing God for breakthrough. They were really living this thing that they say they believe. And I could see it. And I, and I remember turning and, and talking to our leadership at the time and saying, we're going to plant 100 churches all over this city. And God's going to fill the leadership vacuum. We're going to see the kingdom of God come. It's got to be amazing. And our guys are like, yeah. How are we going to do that? I go, I don't know. I don't know. But that's what God's saying we're going to do. And I remember being so gripped with this that somehow we're going to plant praying churches everywhere. And I believe that's part of our calling as a spiritual family, to fill the leadership vacuum all over the city, to tear down Jezebel, and to see the king of glory come and fill the city. Amen. Last prophetic story, and then we'll get on to the name. It's March 28th, 2003. I was in Dallas, and I was praying in preparation for a meeting I was going to go preach at. And I was in a time of prayer, praying for the meeting that night for the power of God to break in. And uh, in my mind's eye, I have this inner vision, and I see this X, and I see this R, and this R. And I asked the Lord, I said, what is that? He says, it's racism and religion, R and R. He goes, it's racism and religion that empowers the spirit of death, terminus over your city. And I'm going, God, I, I, I want to see that turned around. And the corners in the center of the X, they get highlighted to me. And, and the Lord, he impresses me that it's five locations that would host 24-7 worship and prayer. And he says it's 24-7 that will tear down the racism and religion and that will dethrone the spirit of death and that will see Atlanta engulfed with revival. And I remember just, oh, just getting stirred in my own soul. Yes, God. And in our early days of the house of prayer, I came out big guns going, we're gonna plant five houses of prayer. And then trying to get the first one off the ground was so hard that like within a year, I was like, I think we're gonna try to really get one of these going. And then I remember people would come to me and go, well, what about all five? And I go, I don't know. Maybe somebody else will. Who knows? But in recent days, the Lord, he really started dealing with me about that original vision of the five. And I submitted it to our leaders and, and our team and everybody who said, this is the word of the Lord for us. This is who we're to be. It's not just one, you know, place in Lawrenceville, it's all over the city. 
It's five bases of 24-7. It's a hundred churches that are filled with the presence of God, the glory of God being poured into the city to see the, bra the brass heaven broken open to see Jezebel torn down and to see the glory of the Lord come into Atlanta, to see the gate city of the south fall to the kingdom of God. And so this thing, man, it started eating me up about 60 days ago. And, and our team, we just started realizing this is who we're supposed to be in this hour. Well, to, to round out that prophetic story, it was like 30 minutes later, and they were taking me to the meeting that I was going to preach at. And I was like, Lord, I don't want to believe in fairy tales. I don't want to make things up and say it's you. <laughs> and I just, I was closed my eyes and I was, they were driving me to the, the venue and I said, God, would you just please confirm it to me about the racism and the religion that we're supposed to tear down those spirits over the city? Would you just confirm it to me that, that I didn't make it up? that it's five houses of prayer, it's tearing down the spirit of death. Would you just make it real to me somehow, some way? And I just prayed that little prayer in the car and I opened my eyes and as I did, we were crossing a railroad track and the very first thing my eyes set on was that picture, the RXR, the sign that goes with every railroad track and I instantly knew that inner vision, that it was a word from the Lord. It was 2003, I hadn't even moved to Kansas City. I didn't know anything about 24-7 prayer. I definitely didn't know anything about racism and religion and Terminus and Jezebel and all these things. But over the years, God would fill in the blanks of the story. And I believe you'd bring me to this moment and bring us together to this place, to this family that isn't trying to do church as usual. That's not trying to just go through the motions on a Sunday and just, just say, well, we went to church today, but to be the church, to be a people carrying the glory of God, to be a people that are hosting his presence, living from the feet of Jesus and sharing the gospel all over this city, tearing down racism. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation together, tearing down dead religion, and ultimately seeing Jesus shine his face on our city. I, I want revival because I want Jesus. Because I want Jesus so near. I want him to come, and I know you do too. That's who we are, that's what we get to do. We get to do this together, beloved. And I'm so honored and so excited that today we're laying down the name IHOP we're laying down the name New Bridge, and God's giving us a brand new name for our new identity, because it's who we've been called to be all along, to see the gate city of the South open to the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. You can give the Lord a hand clap. <laughs> Worship team, come on. Let's go ahead, and this is the moment you've all been waiting for.
I'm not going to say it first. The video says it. If how you live day in and day out doesn't make sense in light of the end of the age, change how you're living day in and day out. There's an alarm clock going off and the alarms are getting louder and louder and louder. Many are going to say in those last days, well, where is the promise of his coming? Hasn't there been these kinds of signs before? We always project that things are going to be as they are today in the next 15, 20 years. I see it as a soft way of Jesus whispering, get your heart ready because you're not gonna be able to hold on to anything. God is gathering together people that are just realizing we know there's something more. There is a assignment for this city from heaven. And so with it being the historic gate city of the South, we know for the kingdom, if Atlanta falls to the kingdom of God, then this whole Southeast will fall. All we have to do is ask him for it. We want an altar in our city. We want an altar in our homes. We want our own hearts to be an altar. So we want to open the gates around the city that the King of Glory would come in. We are going to see an expression of Christianity we haven't seen in generation. We're at the beginning of a new beginning in terms of who we're called to be for the decades to come. And that requires that we receive the name that God is giving us. Mountains tremble 